Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. Happy first show of our ninth year. Yes, it is. It's right? the start of the ninth year. Ninth year already. Awesome. Woohoo! Uh, we got snow. You did. Yeah, we all did. Yeah. I got snow, too. I got yeah. snow, too. Yeah. How was your weekend? You went camping, right? We went winter camping up in Mew Lake in Algonquin Park. Uh, I measured the... I put the tape measure in the snow on top of the picnic table. Ten inches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Family Day weekend here in Ontario. Pretty good. Is it only Ontario has Family Day weekend? It's not a Canadian. I think so. Whole Canadian no, thing, no. It? And it's not even a federal holiday. Oh. As I learned this weekend, because in Ontario, it's a vacation day mm-hmm. in February, but not if you're a federal worker. Really? Yeah. So I was talking to one of the local guys, and he was saying that, yeah, most people work in the federal government in Ottawa, and uh, they have to take a day of vacation to do stuff with their families, because it's not a holiday for federal workers. Oh. Sucks to be them, then. I know, right? Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, no, we were up uh, in Algonquin, and uh, just Tracy, me, and Athena, the Wonder Dog here, who I think is wanting out of the room now. Oh, should I? I gave her all the options <laughs> to leave, and now she's just over by the door. She's pacing. She's pacing. She's sniffing something. And now <laughs> she's scratching. Uh, it was nice to see a lot of the people that we didn't get to see very often up there. Um, it, yeah, last year it seemed that a whole lot of people said, oh, we're going to try something else, going to try something yep. else, going to try something else. And then this year they all seemed to be back. Was it full? How full was the, was the campground? There was only a couple empty spots. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty full. That's ice sure. rink? Was the ice rink The up? ice rink was up and uh, going no problems. People was, were playing. I was Tons sure of kids. stuff wasn't going to happen up there. I didn't think there would be enough snow. I didn't think it was going to be cold enough. It was just um, opened, I think it was ready Friday. Oh, yeah? Friday it was finally, because at New Year's it was like blocked off. You yeah. Couldn't, you couldn't get huh. on the ice. But there was some, a couple kids, there wasn't as many people playing hockey as there usually is. Oh, okay. It was all skaters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so there was that. There was the, the warming tent and there was um, the... Warming fire to sit around, so we all sat there and chit chatted. That's good. How was the wood? How was the wood? Well, we always go into Whitney and get ours. Okay, you got the dry stuff. Yeah, we don't. Apparently, that well, New Year's and that people were saying it was wasn't too bad the park wood. Yeah, but a lot of people are also saying that's because it's been sitting a lot longer because yes. of all the fire bans this yeah. year. <laughs> so no one was <laughs> using leftover it. wood from the summer. <laughs> so it, it got to sit that little while longer, and yeah, uh, um, yeah that was about it. So. Uh, but no, we had our fires and it was nice and warm inside the tent. Had the big top tent up? Yeah, we had big the big Big circus top. tent? Yeah, that's the one. Actually, it's funny because when we took it down yesterday, um, it almost looked like a giant oval shape left over on the ground. Oh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> we got a sort of an oval tent. Yeah. You know. Uh, like I say, got a lot of snow. Uh, there was someone we got up there was trying to snow on and off, but there was a whole bunch in the trees already. Oh, okay. Uh, you get the snow bombs. Oh, yeah. Random. So you, you, ooh, listen to the wind coming. Then also boom, boom, boom. boom. Yeah, Big exactly. chunks of, you know, powdery snow coming out of yeah. the tree and hitting the tent and, and whatnot. Uh, Athena loving the snow. Um, you know, she walks along and just all of a sudden drags her face through the snow. <laughs> What's wrong with you? She's a dog. Yeah, she's a husky dog. <laughs> and, yeah, she loved playing 
other dogs that were there. We all there was a bunch of us went for a walk in the snow, big big fluffy snowflakes. Mm-hmm. So we went and did all that sort of thing. There was no open water. I'd contemplated bringing the yeah. canoe just in case. Now when we were driving home, there was a few spots like the Gull River and whatnot. There were yep. spots that we crossed it, and there was open water. Huh. So you could probably paddle for a couple of kilometers. You're running out of time to get your February paddle. I know, and I'm I'm busy this weekend coming with the mm-hmm. outdoor oh, adventure yes. show, yeah, yeah. and the weekend after that is um the Quiet Adventure Symposium in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So the Wabbits. I'm gonna have to do an after work thing pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if I get out there for an hour to- or so, then. At least I've been on the water for February. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the rabbits, we got to look forward to that. I wonder, to get rabbits across the border, could you bring a live rabbit back or would you have to bring it back as meat? I think you'd probably have better luck bringing it back alive. Yeah. Yeah, because then you're importing food goods. Yeah, exactly. Right, as opposed to livestock. So you, you slaughter it when you get back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you just <laughs> let them run across the border and then you didn't bring them at all and then you just recatch them. I bet, I bet my cat would love to have a rabbit in the house. No. They'd have fun. No, the rabbit would harass them. <laughs> uh, we didn't actually see any animals when we were up there, speaking of rabbits. No deer. Uh, no, we saw We saw birds. Hmm. Like some, you know, ravens and blue jays and Maybe stuff the like snow that, kept them away. Maybe. Um, drawback to snow. A lot of snow oh. when it comes to winter camping in the tents. Collects on the roof? It doesn't really. It oh, melts. No. Oh, then you got ice. And then you got all <laughs> these, because it, the roof is sloped on the tent, yeah. right? So all the water then drips down and forms icicles, oh. which isn't a problem. It's yeah. really pretty. <laughs> Until you go to pack that tent, yeah. and then you're packing 15 <laughs> pounds of ice. Not Impressive. Gosh darn it. Right? I suppose you could just put a big tarp over top of the tent. I'm not sure how to do that with this tent, though. Yeah. I don't think it would really fit properly because of where the stove jack is and everything. And stove pipe. Yeah, so you'd have one part of the tent that would still be icy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that wouldn't matter if it was just one part. Yeah. But it's the whole thing. So it's hanging in the garage now trying to dry out? It is. Uh, it is hanging. We just did that. We just took it directly from the truck right into the garage and hung it up because, <laughs> you know, all that ice sitting there forever. And yeah. then if it does melt, it's turning into water. Exactly. And sitting there and it's just like, yeah. No, it'll, it'll, it'll sublimate. It'll go right from ice to gas and it'll be dry by spring. Yeah, but it'll be all, um, evaporated and stained and all that sort of stuff. Well, so not necessarily. And the dog has been rescued. Thank you, Ariana. <laughs> I asked if she wanted to go out of the room. She did not want to go out. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so it's hanging in the garage there. All our other stuff that was wet is all hanging up, the tarps and all that. And uh, But, uh, no, it was a good time up there. It's a nice, relaxed time. No getting up at 5 a.m. to go to work. And yeah. And all that. Did a couple of tours around the area. And like I say, when we go up there winter camping, it's just chit-chatting with people, doing some walks mm-hmm. and, you know, some easy hikes and stuff. Nothing too strenuous. Yeah. And, ah, good time. <laughs> and you did not go camping. I 
didn't. Well, you went five star camping. I did not necessarily five star, but we call it five yeah. star camping. I still wish we could have gone. Well, we could have gone. I just I didn't think there was going to be much to do or see because there was no snow. But then it snowed, so we would have had it made. So oh well, what are you going to do, right? So instead, I went to we we went to Ottawa, stayed downtown, and uh, we were like two blocks away from Parliament Hill, and cool. It was nice. It was uh, it was nice to spend the weekend there. We. <laughs> <laughs> we found out on on Friday. I was at work. I was at work on Friday, and and some of the guy goes, "Hey, uh, you might want to check this. I heard something." And it's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> so so we uh, we went to Ottawa and hung out on Parliament Hill and doing all that stuff. But uh, guess who was back for a limited time engagement? Trudeau. <laughs> No, I'm sure he might have been there. No, the the uh, the the protesters were back. Oh, were they? So we we got to mingle with them for a bit. Excellent. And, uh, and uh, they Be had part of history. Yeah, they had a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of the streets were blocked and shut uh. down, and a lot of the heavy police presence. We we didn't we weren't able to walk around Parliament like we wanted to because they had closed off areas, and we we tried to get down to East Block, but we weren't allowed there. The cops chased us off and. So it's like, hey, I'm not a protester. I'm just here with my two kids, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's allowed. Mm, okay, I get well, it. Well, you'll have to go back. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I will. don't think Ottawa is going anywhere. No, no, we, and we want to go back in the summer. But it was nice. It was a nice weekend. We got to uh, man, my you didn't get, feet. Got you didn't get so on the uh, the canal though. So for beaver tails and poutine, and we didn't because we ended up. Uh, we could have gone Saturday. And uh, we were actually down near the closed end of the canal on Sunday morning. Um, but uh, the portion, they did open a portion of it on Sunday and they're hoping to keep it open. But they're already saying, oh, we might have to close again because it's, it's been, they opened it for two or three days in January and then they closed up because of thin ice and choppy ice. And, and then they opened it on Sunday on the weekend. And uh, I don't know if they closed it or not yet, but uh, well, I, I did see pictures and video. Everybody was excited. It was on like CBC, CTV, you name it. Oh, the canal's open. The canal's open. It's like, yeah, well. <laughs> 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 but so in Sunday, I, I was visiting with my sister, so we uh, we didn't go skating on the canal. Instead, we went to visit my sister, which was even better. But it was nice. We got to see a bunch of stuff that, like, I, I've never been to. So we went to. Uh, Went to the National Arts Center. They had stuff for kids there all weekend, right? So there was all kinds of music. And one of the things that was neat is uh, plants. They had these plants wired to a, like, like, uh, raspberry pie things and to an amp and to a speaker. And uh, so if you touch, they, they put a ground wire into the plant. And so you touch the plant and it would make noise. You were closing the connection with the plant right yeah so whatever it was neat so you they had different music or tones so the kids were having a blast touching the plant leaves and making it make different noises like musical instruments it was screaming really yeah, they, some of them were screaming <laughs> some of them were screaming so <laughs> don't touch me so that was neat and then we went to the national gallery i locked i on the way in i talked to ariana about it there's a we saw so much art yeah. it was it, we, we only did a small portion maybe a an at like an eighth or a tenth of the gallery, it's too much to see in one go. So that's so, why you go to the go to the uh, AGO here. 
did you see there was a on family day the rom was free did you see the lineup to the rom no it was like I, five blocks long i could imagine I, I saw a video not, of it it's not it's, that expensive to get in though no i know well like why would you want to wait outdoors in the cold for like two hours to get into the rom oh yeah. but it's free it's like oh i'd rather pay and not have a lineup <laughs> yeah we have memberships yearly memberships yeah yeah well it makes sense because of ariana yeah so and then we also went to the aviation and space museum that's cool that was cool yeah. we we while we were there uh they we heard an announcement they, they said uh anybody interested in uh a tour a guided tour of the reserve hangar it's like oh well that sounds interesting what's that so we did it. We went in, and it was amazing. So it was a guided tour of the off-display items. So aircraft and whatever that won't fit in the main museum. Right. So it's just a lot of the stuff is being fixed. There's some of the stuff they just got. Restored so, and whatnot. Restored. And yeah. so it was. there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of really interesting stuff. And it was a guided tour. So this woman, was she knew her stuff. And so she guided it, went through and talked about everything in there. It was amazing. So it was. it's something that you can't just go in. It has to be a guided tour because they don't just let you wander through. Because you're, you're right next to all the aircraft, right? So, uh, so she walked us through and talked about all the different aircraft, and it was amazing. Cool. There's some really neat one-off planes and one-of-one planes, and it was it was really really neat. It was it was a fascinating. And then we, uh, they, I, separate people, they had a, were doing plane tours, so we all went up and uh, circled Parliament Hill, and I got some nice video of. Oh, so you went up on a plane? I went up in a little plane, a little oh. Cessna. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was, and it was a tiny Cessna. And as we climbed out of the uh, museum uh, uh, landing strip, we came out over the uh, Ottawa River, mm-hmm. and we were, had to be headed into the wind. I'm looking down. It's like we're not gaining any ground because at first he was just climbing and climbing in one spot, climbing and climbing. And then when he leveled out, we could, I could feel it start to move forward. It's like, Oh, that water down there looked really cold. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if you ditch, please ditch in the trees. (laughs) So basically you're saying you were uh, half a flight away from me needing to get a new coast. Yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> I'm too busy for that right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making it back. Yeah. When we when we paid for the thing before while we were waiting, I said, oh, now we get to be a statistic. <laughs> and she's like, what? I said, yeah, Family 4 dies in aircraft accident on Parliament Hill. <laughs> if we're going to crash, can you just make sure you hit the hill? <laughs> yes, please hit something hard. Yeah. Yeah, do some damage while you're going. You're going, go big. Yeah, but it was it was neat. It was an, it was a good weekend. Did so much walking, like the, it's just the 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 um, the National Gallery and stuff. Like I was on oh, my feet all day. And kids like it. Yes, they 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 thought it was awesome. Every part of it. Uh, it was just it was a very fun, interesting weekend. Good. Yeah. And now we're back. Yes. Yeah. Woo. So yeah, it was it was nice. I want to go back in the summer for a week or so, yeah. and and. It's There's season. so much to yeah. do in the summer. Oh, I know, I know. And so they were doing tours because uh, there was areas of, like you can see the Senate because the, a lot of the places are moved because of the center block is being renovated. And see, I've been around the Parliament building. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually been in. I remember being 
inside just the entryway of center block a couple years ago but we didn't do a tour we just walked up walked in didn't go past security just looked around and left i think the last time i was really up close like so i could touch the parliament buildings close yeah do you remember that somebody hijacked that bus and drove it up on parliament hill no that was like in the early 2000s, late 90s, I guess. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much of an urge I want to go yeah. to the parliament. <laughs> oh, look, there's a parliament building. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, next. <laughs> there, there's lots of tours I'd like to go on. I'd like to see you know, the, the inside. And, you know, and as painful as it might be, because it's like uh, uh, adults acting like toddlers, I'd like to sit in for maybe an hour of, like, you know, a session of, Question period or something? Yeah, or yeah. something, right? Because yeah. it, I've seen it on CPAC, and it's like, uh, I should see it in person at least once. Nah. As irritating as it would be. No. Nah. Because they do act like toddlers, really. Oh, you know, I, I, I would get mad and yell, and I'd get kicked out. Because <laughs> like, all they do is try to belittle each other, and I don't really, I really don't know how anything gets done. I know. I have no Because the, it seems the only purpose is to... Make the other side's job hard. Exactly. And all they want to yeah. do is argue. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who's in power. Yeah, exactly. Right? The other ones are going to just take that side of the Nope, we don't want you to do this. Blah, blah, blah. We're, just, <laughs> we're going to do everything. One day, somebody's going to go, we agree with you. And no one's going to know what to do. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> we're, we're shutting down because the other side agreed with us. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we, we, Unprecedented. Uh, somebody get a book and look this up. Has this ever happened? What did they do? <laughs> oh, man. Well, glad you had a good time. I yeah. want to go I want to go back there and uh, do some battling in the canal. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That would be neat. I would like to do that. Uh, maybe we could uh, plan for that in the summer or something. Right. I've been, I mean, I've been on the Ottawa River and, yeah. and lower, but not downtownish in the canal area. Yeah, I've been on the canal in the winter, but never in summer. I've only mm-hmm. been on you know, when there's ice on. Yeah, not this weekend, but but yeah, huh. we should do that. Yeah, Plan I for think it. we should. Uh, I am still dealing with a sore back. Are you? Yeah, it's been over a week. And- Almost two weeks now. And that was chasing the dog or something? Walking, walking the dog. Walking the dog, yeah. Walking the dog. Yeah. And we're not talking about the uh, <laughs> yo-yo thing, walking the dog. You're just no. actually walking, walking out. Walking the dog. Walking. You're out walking. Yeah. We were talking about that on the weekend, about how getting old and, <laughs> and you know. Slip you, a disc. You just twit. And there was like four of us talking. Yeah. Four guys talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did that. And I, oh, I hurt my back. <laughs> and I did that and hurt my shoulder. Oh, my knee. And I'm like, dudes, right now I'm one good fart away from total paralysis. <laughs> I hurt my back while I was sleeping. <laughs> yeah. I sneezed and, and <laughs> keeled over. <laughs> uh, anyway. On to things here, because we do actually have a lot to talk about today. Yes, we do. Um, Elmira, New York. During the winter, frigid temperatures make rivers dangerous, which we've always talked about. Uh, There's different things that you need to do if you're going to be paddling in the winter. Uh, Even experienced paddlers, it can be a challenge for them. Following the recent death of a kayaker on Sealy Creek in Chemung County... Local paddling agencies are advising people to stay off the river in the winter. 
So they're advising. They're not blocking it. I guess people mm-hmm. still should have the freedom to do. People should have the freedom to choose to die the way they want. The way they want. <laughs> uh, in a release sent out by the uh, Shimong River Friends, the group advises paddlers that the water this time of year between 30 and 40 Fahrenheit, which is minus 1 to 5 degrees Celsius, yeah. uh, can cause hypothermia and a risk of cold water shock even to these well-experienced with paddling. Yeah. Emergency crews that have to conduct rescue missions if something goes wrong on the water end up having to fight more than just cold temperatures, but have to go through the struggle of finding the person at risk. And that kind of brings back to what we talked about last week about the guy doing the waterfall. It's like, if you're going to go do something that's risky or even not risky, just so I guess it's risky because it's cold. Because of the cold water, yeah. Then, you know, people have to go and risk themselves, their own safety to go rescue mm-hmm. you, right? Go out there and paddle. Just do it safely. Do it smartly. Yeah. Protective gear. Uh, they said a representative from the River Rescue Task Force um, uh, has spoken about this issue. And the representative said that where someone goes in the water where they plan on going out and what time are some of the most important things someone can give to a person outside the paddle group. So basically, just if you're going out, tell someone where you're going. Yeah. When you're going, when you're going to be back, yep. where you're where you're launching from, where you're landing, all that sort of which is a summer thing as well. Uh, the release advises that if you're someone who isn't experienced in paddling, you should not be on the river in winter at all. I can agree with that. Yep. The message adds that it doesn't only put the endanger, uh, the inexperienced paddler's life at risk, but the emergency crew's lives at risk when they have to go in and rescue someone out of the river. So they do note that keeping and wearing an updated life jacket is a must when out on the water. Group says that the vest should be worn on the person at all times, should be a fit snugly with the ability to close all buckles and clips. Life jackets do not last forever with the foam inside degrading over time the more it's used. And I'm about ready for a new life jacket Yeah, as I think well. I've got a couple yeah. more years in mine. Final safety tip. Uh, that they add is that if the water temperature and the air temperature combined are not more than 120 degrees Fahrenheit or 49 Celsius, then it's too cold to paddle. Hmm. So little notes I've added here. Never paddle alone in winter. Now the fellow that passed away, he was with two other people. Uh, They got out. Um, he overturned in a kayak. Yeah, hypothermia. He he was pronounced uh, uh, dead at the at the hospital. Um, and always wear a dry suit. I got a feeling because it didn't mention anything in there. And yeah. if he's got hypothermia that fast, he's wasn't he wasn't yeah. wearing a dry suit. So if you're going out paddling, like mm-hmm. you say, be safe about it. You know, this time of year, wear your life exactly. jacket. Go with people. Leave all your information. Wear a dry suit. Yep. Be safe about it. Yeah, and dry suit, dry suits uh, is, is would it be a good investment? I don't paddle in the shoulder seasons yep. or in winter because I don't have a dry suit, so I just don't go. I, I'm I'm thinking more and more of getting one. I just right it's at big this a lot of money. It, it's a lot of money, yeah. so it's just easier not to go. Yeah. So and uh, and life jacket, like especially if you don't have a dry suit and you do go in the shoulder season, like not winter, like you got to have a dry suit in winter. But in shoulder season, if the water is really cold, the shock of falling in the water 
may prevent you from properly being able to swim. Mm-hmm. You might, as you, your Numbness muscles and... will spasm, and and so you may be at risk of drowning because your body is not going to react like you normally would. And yep. you may be an expert swimmer, but you may not be able to swim because of the, the initial cold water shock. Yeah. So be smart. If you're not prepared, don't go. Mm-hmm. A little farther south, little North farther. Carolina, mm-hmm. the French Broad River uh, flows out of North Carolina into Tennessee where it joins the Holston River in Knoxville, becomes the Tennessee River. It's 218 miles or 350 kilometers in length. And the French Broad Paddle Trail it began in 2012 with little more than a few small grants, countless volunteer hours, and an abundance of stoke for paddling and camping along the French Broad River. Same year, Riverlink partnered with Mountain True, then called Western North Carolina Alliance, to create Riverside campsites, mapping resources, and a website to house basic information about the trail and serve as a platform for making reservations, which is how things usually start. You start small, and then eventually, hopefully, you can expand. Ten years, or more than ten years later, the paddle trail has grown to encompass more than just the resources these nonprofits has produced to create a network of local organizations, government agencies, area businesses, and individual volunteers passionate about public access, riverside camping, outdoor events, and stewardship. Beginning in 2024, Mountain True launched a new FrenchBroadPaddle.com site as a revised online destination that is an improvement over the old one in terms of aesthetics, content, and functionality with helpful changes made to design content, campsite bookings, connections to other resources, including, and they, they if you get the chance, go on to FrenchBroadPaddle.com. Uh, so some of these changes that they made and the things that you can see that are on this, this uh, new website, English-Spanish translation. The entire website can be translated between English and Spanish via the toggle switch at the bottom left corner for on all pages. Homepage. The homepage has been refreshed with basic information about the paddle trail and includes a section announcing news and events. Web map and obstructions. I like this one. Obstructions? There is an updated and simplified map to show access points, campsites, outfitters, mile markers, along with obstructions such as river-wide woody debris, including timestamps and photos, construction huh. projects, and dams. Holy jumpins. That's, they're, they're very organized, aren't they? Right? I mean, you can go on to this page, <clears throat> click on the map, and you can see, well, I was going to paddle from here to here, but they're, oh, they're renovating a dam or, or whatever. Or there's a big... There's a down know, tree fall or... Or whatever, it's a whole bunch of of logs uh, blocking the way. So maybe I better check a different spot. Uh, Suggested trips. The suggested trips page has been updated and expanded with fresh content, newer images, greater detail to offer recommendations for multi-day trips in all counties. So if you want to go out for a few days and you're not sure where to go because you're, you know, visiting the area. Fully planned out on the website. You can go out and check out. Okay, here's what you sh- where you should go. You can park here. You can, you know, launch here and take out here yep. and and whatnot. Outfitters and retailers. The outfitters and retailers page 
has been updated to include all current paddle paddling-related outfitters along the French Broad, organized by county, with links to each business's website. So with an outfitter, usually you can, most websites, you know, they offer some sort of um, pickup or drop-off, that sort of thing to help you out, right? So if you start upstream and then you plan to finish there, then you can go there, maybe they'll drop you off upstream and then you just paddle back a few days later to that outfitter and pick up your car, hmm. right? Flows and gauges. Oh, that's just handy. And see, this is one thing that I've never really cared about. Yeah. Um, we talk about it all the time, but, you know, the flow and the gauge page has been updated to include all United States Geological Services gauges along the French Broad River. I'm either paddling it or I'm walking it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Usually I don't look before I go. When we do our uh, Burt Reynolds Memorial River runs, we uh, we go through all of the uh, the flows and and just to determine and we ha- we know what a minimum flow is that we wouldn't be able to go or yep. if it's too high a flow yada yada yada. So and we've done that for like uh, Spanish River and the Des Moines River and the and the Noir River and stuff like that. So they're, they're all the way along uh, in Ontario and Quebec, you can get all these flows, right? Speaking of the Burt Reynolds mm-hmm. uh, Memorial River run. When we were up camping, Mike Burns and uh, Scott Rogers yeah. were back yes. in winter camping yeah. in the backcountry, and they made a day trip out just to come and see us. That's cool. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, Riverside Camping. One centralized page outlines and links to all paddle trail campsites in one place organized by county from upstream to downstream. Hmm. So if you if you know you're going for a few days, yeah. where should I camp? Well, you can go to the here and check out all the camping spots. Hmm. This is a, this is, this would be a great website for anybody who happens to have the nickname dossier. Right? I like these people. <laughs> there are also new site specific pages for all the mountain true managed campsites, which include an easier booking experience, updated photos, lengthier descriptions, and an overview of administrative policies, dispersed campsites, uh, are also included in the full listing of a riverside camping opportunities. Did you uh, happen to notice how many campsites that they do have? No, I never counted them all. But it looks like, by the sounds of it, well, there's it's it's uh, 350 kilometer in length, mm-hmm. so it's got to be a lot of opportunity. Oh yeah, campsites. Yeah. That's amazing that they uh, they've they've and what's neat too, and and what's Obviously, it happens to work out with, with, for river-style camp locations like this. Is you, you get a lot of people that get together and and pool resources and and you know the, so they've created these these maps and these links and you get all these uh, uh, what do you call them different uh, business partners and so on that mm-hmm. work together to make it a more wholesome experience. So that's pretty cool that uh, they've done so much. Yeah. Uh, they have a partners and supporters page, um, it's st- but still in the work in progress. Yeah. But it'll soon list and link to all nonprofit and agency partners, along with businesses and funding sources that support paddle trail endeavors. Hmm. I mean, you, you know, when you're talking about the, if there's campgrounds, if there's outfitters and all, yeah. it only benefits them to help out with this. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, the paddlers are going to come to you, so... Mm-hmm. You know, get your name on that page, sort of thing, and help exactly. out with it. And, need to rent a you know, canoe, need to rent a life jacket, yeah. get, get a campsite, need some food, yada, yada, yada. 
So now is the time to go check out the website, frenchbroadpaddle.com. Check it out. Uh, use it to make your paddling plans for this uh, coming summer. Uh, maybe book a campsite next to the river and have a memorable trip with family, friends, or yeah. or by yourself. So this is North Carolina, where the French Broad River flows from North Carolina into Tennessee. Yep. Cool. Yep. So it's, yeah, basically from the bottom up. And mm-hmm. Very neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, still hanging out that that end of the United States. We're going to go to Georgia again. <laughs> okay. Again, Georgia's having some issues, I'm thinking. In Georgia, a House panel approved a bill intended to clarify when landowners can restrict access to streams. That in itself <laughs> is a bit of a... What? Yeah, I know, right? And when it comes to these restrictions, think about the previous thing we just talked about with the partners and supporters mm-hmm. and and organizations. Like you're gonna, that business model is gonna dry up if you block access and control to a river system, and yep. you're not gonna get tourist dollars in. You're not gonna the businesses are gonna go away. And lawmakers rushed to respond late in last year's legislative session when a landowner along the Flint River successfully argued in court that he has control over who can cast a line in a popular fishing spot. Now, it didn't say whether it was from land or from the water. And he won. And he won. So right off the bat, everybody's like, what? Yeah, I can't even fish. Uh, The late session measure prompted an outcry from some landowners and representatives of the state's agriculture industry who worried the new law designed to enshrine the public's right to fishing would make operations that withdrew water from rivers um, vulnerable to lawsuits. So you know how sometimes the agricultural will divert water to their fields or to the cows Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff? Well, does that mean now there's going to be lawsuits because they're taking the water? Oh, Right? So anyway, oh. everybody's starting to all of a sudden think 15 steps ahead yeah. and overthinking things. Yeah. <clears throat> now, after spending last fall studying the quandary, lawmakers are back. Because we talked about the in Georgia whether they're going to make navigable and non-navigable. No, I can't even say that word today. Navigable. Na- that's the word. Navigable. Navigable. Uh, navigable. Navigable and non-navigable waterways. Waterways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, whether they're going to make them that or not, uh, because then, you know, well, which ones are, which ones aren't, yes. and how come that one's not navigable, because... Just say nav. Nav. Nav and non-nav. Yeah. So, <laughs> because, you know, we do, you know, whitewater creaking sort of Oh, exactly, thing, yeah. But you don't have it as navigable. Yes. So, and, and that's like when you're doing creek boating and stuff like that, you're not touching the shore. Mm-hmm. You're just like a, a lot of the trips that... One is, I, and they're and they're in a lot of those places are people aren't boating there anyway. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they they've spent all last fall studying all this, and now they're considering a potential follow up bill meant to allay those concerns. <laughs> Industry groups say they support the new measure, but is the proposed fix creating new problems? Paddling enthusiasts showed up to a committee meeting recently. To argue the new bill will limit the public's access to Georgia waterways that are deemed 
non-navigable. Ooh. And I can say that because I'm reading it. Wonky gold star so, Yeah. Significantly curtailing the streams where paddlers can venture down. Should private property owners on all of these streams have the power to override public freedoms and all the economic benefits that flow from them, Ooh. says Suzanne Wielander, who is the author of a guidebook, Canoeing and Kayaking Georgia. <laughs> you won't need that guidebook anymore. Yeah, take out page 8, <laughs> page 15, page yeah, 16, yeah. page 20 to 27. I just ask you to protect Georgia's freedom to float by ensuring that any stream, navigable and non-navigable, if it's capable of floating, a boat remains open and accessible to the public. Hmm. Opponents argue that by giving navigable streams the green light for paddling, lawmakers are also implying that non-navigable waterways are, are off, off limits. limits. Yes. So it's like they're, uh, they're sort of using a double negative in mm-hmm. my opinion. Well, because you're saying that's navigable, that means that one isn't? Yes. Well, no, we didn't say that. Well, by not saying that that one, yeah, 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 you yeah. did say it isn't. specifying. Yeah. Uh, they say that could have far-reaching implication, implications, limiting access to places like the Yellow River, the Middle uh, Oconee River, and, and such. If we declare navigable streams to be open, haven't we, by negative implications, say non-navigable <laughs> streams are not? Precisely. And that is our big concern in the paddling community about this bill, said Dan McIntyre, who is a paddler and and attorney. So, you know, some lawmakers were unconvinced that paddling access would be newly limited by the proposal. The bill's sponsor, James Burchett, uh, I think he's Republican, uh, said someone would still be able to float down a non-navigable stream. They would just need the property owner's approval. Oh, now you can see where he's not a paddler. Mm-hmm. There was never an expansion of the right to go into a non-navigable waterway, he said. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't go. Many people float fish and hunt on non-navigable navigable streams because the property owner gives permission or does not want to exclude you from doing it. Hmm. Paddlers, though, argue this is not practical. So if you're on a stream and you're planning on paddling for 100 kilometers and there's 60 houses, you've got to go to all 60 houses. Do you have to ask them? And ask for permission. That's basically what he's saying. If there's no signage, you'd have to go, oh, I see somebody's back. You've got to get permission. Wow. From 60 houses. The problem is, is you'd have to prearrange it because you're not going to be able to hop out of the stream onto their property and knock right. on the door because you're trespassing then. Right. For non-navigability, we do believe it'd be impossible for us on all the rivers that we traditionally paddle to contact every property owner and know, ask right? for permission, says Carol Reeser Proctor, who is the past president of the Georgia Canoeing Association, which also represents kayakers and stand-up paddleboarders. After nearly two hours of debate Thursday, last Thursday, the bill made it out of the House Judiciary Committee, but only after the chair chairman cast a tie-breaking vote. Huh. Burchett argues the thorny issue needs to be resolved to avoid conflicts that can easily escalate where firearms are involved. Because some of the boaters and some of the people on the river and that that are u- wanting to use the property are hunters. Oh, yes. 
Whether on the part of the outdoorsman or the property owner, or likely both. (laughs) He cited a 2020 situation where a property owner along the Flint River fired a gun at a family on a canoe ride who he considered trespassers. The man was found guilty on four counts of aggravated assault, sentenced to 10 years in prison. Well. Right? When you start conflating two different issues, navigable, non-navigable, and where your property rights extend, people get very passionate about that. And that's where we're seeking to clarify here. Tension between landowners and members of the public who are trying to enjoy the great outdoors is nothing new, but the situation intensified in 2022 when anglers started noticing no trespassing signs Uh, popping up along the Flint River, which is home to shoal bass. A landowner's success in clinching a settlement with the state last spring set off alarm bells and sent lawmakers scrambling for a solution. Because we are a strong private property rights state, and we also recognize the importance of our fishermen and hunting folks, we want to balance these interests. Now this is a delicate balance, uh, Birchett says. We want to allow folks to fish, hunt, and pass down our navigable waters, while at the same time maintain people's personal property rights. The bill now goes to the Rules Committee, which decides which bills move onto the House floor for a vote by full chamber. Crossover day. I didn't realize there was a hmm. thing. crossover day when a bill must clear at least one chamber to have a clear path to becoming law February 29th. <laughs> Leap year. <laughs> so, <laughs> February 30th. Uh, so my question is, would if, if they say, like they pass this, is this going to be a precedent for other states to copy? Because if next door state says, oh, well, they did it over here exactly. in Georgia. Let's start. I don't want yeah. people passing by my cottage or my yeah. house or whatever. I like through my, my view without a field. I like my view without people in it. Yeah. So, so that, that just, there's, it's opened up so many cans of worms, right? Like, the, the, I really appreciate it when, was it uh, Scotland has Free to Roam mm-hmm. Act and Ireland has a Free no, there's a bunch of them. A bunch of countries over there too. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So it's 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 frustrating because it's you know if people are just passing through, what's the issue? Really, what is the issue? Like mm-hmm. they're not stu- They're not setting foot on your on yeah. your land. They're not cutting your fences. Mm-hmm. They're not stealing your. Ca- if you're stealing a cow while in a kayak <laughs> or a canoe, more yeah, yeah, power yeah. to yeah. you. Deserve that cow. <laughs> Yeah. You're not they're not doing it. They're just passing through on a trip, having a good time enjoying nature. Which yeah. your property apparently is filled with. Yeah. You but know, I like, think unfortunately I think where some of the problem comes from is yet typical hooliganism, right? People mm-hmm. are doing a drink and float and yada 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 and disturbing the peace and screaming and yelling and I'm sure some people get, you know, hey, not on my land, right? So but then, like, what's the issue? They're going to be there. You, you, you'll be, you'll experience it for like ten minutes. If they're just passing through, yeah, let them pass through. Say hello. Yeah. Be a human being for crying out yeah. loud. I get not wanting them on your property, yeah. building a fire pit and doing whatever. Oh, hundred percent. Digging scat holes and yada yada yada. So I don't know. It's a it's a difficult issue. It's and you know everybody's going to have a different opinion. And and as you can see, it's already gone through the courts, and somebody's won the right to say because that one judge, yeah, said, yeah, you can, yeah, exactly, yeah. 
And that's that one judge. Any other judge, maybe the this case that or that specific case might have gone and gone totally a totally other different way. way. Yeah, right. So we'll keep our eye on Georgia some more. See what yeah, happens. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hmm. <sighs> um. So that was one thing we talked about before was Georgia. And now we've come back to it. Another thing we talked about was lake bagging. Okay. Remember yes, uh, yes, yes, with yes. the stand-up paddleboard yeah. people are climbing and hitting. Yeah. These, these uh, yeah, alpine so lakes and stuff like that. People typically peak bag. It's like, hey, yeah. you know, you do you the- You guys were doing that. Yeah, we were. We yeah. were doing that in the White Mountains and, and so on. Yeah, it's, uh, hey, it's fun. Like, uh, I, I've been watching the boys do that all winter, like Grant and Matt and- Pete. David and Peter, Peter. And yeah, they all do this. Is, it's a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we talked about uh, lake bagging with inflatable stand-up paddle boards, pack rafts, you know, going up to these alpine lakes yeah. and getting out in the water and stuff like that. That would be cool. That would be so cool. Seattle? But you got to walk up there to do it. <laughs> That's well, the I, problem. Do you actually have to walk though? Is no, that one of the prerequisites? But w- wouldn't it kind of spoil it if you kind of get dropped in by a helicopter? No. <laughs> what if you parachute it in? Ooh. Right? <laughs> Yeah. And you got to walk out. <laughs> so a Seattle-based adventurer and mountaineer, Andrew Hughes, established a new stand-up paddleboard world record, paddling on the highest elevation flat water lake recorded on Trey Cruz's Norte in Chile. Also tagged the summit while he was there at 19,780 feet. Might as well. He was already up there. Yeah, already almost there. Might as well just go up a little bit farther. So this is a lake way up there. Uh, though technically on a desert plateau just west of, of the Andes Mountains, Trey Crucis Norte has a sizable alpine lake. The pond at Trey Crucis Norte, officially 19,364 feet, is in Nevado Trey Crucis National Park, located inside a volcanic crater. Very cool. Easily one of the highest bodies of water on Earth. Uh-huh. So chances are... Someone's going to be a little while till they beat that record. Oh, yeah. Uh, when it comes to alpine lakes, not rivers, or tried and true whitewater destinations, or even large flatwater basins, the amount of potential really skyrockets. You can paddle just about anywhere on a stand-up paddleboard. With paddleboards on the market nowadays weighing as little as 18 to 20 pounds, <laughs> yeah. not being more packable, uh, and being more packable than ever, most bodies of water are fair game. As long as it's accessible by foot and trail to get you and your stand-up paddleboard there. At 19,780 feet above sea level, Trey Cruces Norte sits higher up than Mount Whitney, Uh all of Colorado's 14ers, Mount Fuji, which is the tallest mountain in Japan, Mount Logan, the tallest mountain in Canada, and second tallest in all of North America, and Mount Kenya. So that just shows you how high up he went yeah and you can paddle on it to say how long it took him to hike up there he did not say that whatsoever <laughs> uh hughes has summited all seven summits the seven volcanic summits holds a guinness world record on mount everest wow. uh, has climbed countless other notable peaks including denali mount rainier kilimanjaro and many more about four or five years ago a couple of friends got hughes into paddle boarding uh, I realize it was just another way to experience what's around me, not just mountains, says Hughes. 
Having summited dozens of peaks abroad, Andrew Hughes is no stranger to complicated trip planning and high alpine logistics. Still, before a few years ago, he had never set foot on a stand-up paddleboard, so chasing this record also meant learning the ropes when it came to stand-up paddleboard-specific gear. <laughs> Uh, he decided to go with the aisle switch, and we've talked about that before. That that board before, did we? Oh now, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Board, board weighs roughly nineteen pounds. Comes with three piece paddle, lots of tie downs, a carry pack, manual pump, and a whole lot of modular accessories. Most of which Hughes would ditch for the attempt. In addition to the board itself, he used the aisle switch pump, paddle, and pack, a minimalist Mustang survival PFD belt some neoprene boots, and O'Neill neoprene gloves. Everything in the gear realm was about weight, he says. And then with all the traditional gear I had to take to Summit, that was crucial. Oh, like yeah. my sleeping bag, layers, just standard climbing gear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you know, I'm going to go all the way to the Summit. <laughs> and all the way down, I think I'll just hit up this little... Lakey Lake yeah. to go for a little paddle. And for those ultra-like hikers, <laughs> he added a he paddle board, stuff. a paddle, and a pump. Yeah. So like <laughs> another 20 to 25 pounds, right? Yeah. Uh, he visited the exact same region in Chile while on a climbing trip in 2017. The lake is just this gorgeous body of water in the middle of the desert, he says. I remember sitting there at the lake wanting to come back. But he didn't look into details until 2020 when he applied for the record and was informed which bodies of water officially qualified. Oh. So he looked into it first. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, uh, to stand up paddleboard at this lake, he recounted. When I applied, there were certain bodies of water that were in t- internationally recognized for high altitude water records and some that weren't. Most of them are in Tibet or the Andes. So why carry a stand-up paddleboard on your back up a massive mountain? Well, for one, it's easier nowadays than a decade ago. Could you imagine hiking up there with a stand-up paddleboard? And if you pass anybody, <laughs> dude, you doing? I don't know what your lake you're going to, but you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was you at New Year's where you had a canoe, on the, a canoe on the top of my truck. What is that man doing? I don't know what season you're looking for, but it ain't winter. <laughs> Uh, boards are slimmer and lighter. Recent innovations in stand-up paddle boards have just made it possible. Uh, Hughes explains, this was almost a proof of concept for me. You can integrate paddle boarding with high-altitude mountaineering. I wanted to figure out how to integrate it into my trips. I had never done stand-up paddleboard trips before. My question was, can this really work? Either people in the region were wondering why I wasn't trying to run up every peak and chase summits but I really wanted to experience the mountains in a new way and these places are chal- uh, changing drastically so thinking about global warming how can we keep exploring when Hughes got to the Salt Lake Laguna Verde his base camp in uh, Ataco- Atacama literally the driest desert in the world it was extremely windy as far as the Andes go it was still fairly accessible but the conditions were not prime for paddleboarding. Official world record starts from the entry point on the water. Then once there, it has to be 10 minutes of continuous paddling on the body of water. So you can't go into like a 10-foot puddle. (laughs) Just paddle the other side. Uh, Hughes spent a little over 14 minutes on the lake, according to his Garmin. That's it? 
Yeah, I know. Like you think it's like, hey, I'm here. You think this you is, take a it's, day? It's more than just the record. I want to enjoy this. Bottle. Enjoy it. Yeah. But that record doesn't begin to reflect the amount of time Hughes put into the attempt. I did tons of prep. Did like seven thousand miles of travel to get down here. Then the airline lost my bag, so I didn't even have some <laughs> of my gear. Wow. I spent a week doing acclimation hikes on lower peaks. Then I did some recon on what road I'd thought I'd need to take to get to the Norte. Uh, we climbed and set up base camp around 4,800 meters or 15,748 feet. Started our ascent, climbed, camped at the outcropping, then left the next morning for the summit and the lake. His record at the lake took maybe 45 minutes from start to finish with the ascent and descent maybe 36 hours total on the peak. Hmm. So I guess he couldn't set up camp that high up, I guess. Well, I don't know if there's a flat enough spot to do so, but people don't would normally just do the peak and then come back down to a lower mm-hmm. elevation to camp, right? Yeah. Uh, the summit was beautiful, but the ascent with dust and dirt, it was scree-filled and awful. With the pack, the board, and all my gear in my pack, I was like a turtle going up that climb. <laughs> <laughs> best part was being on the water. Yeah. Well, that's pretty neat. Well, if the best part's being on the water, though, why only 14 minutes? Right. I guess because he was running out of time. I mean, you got to think uh, if it, the whole trip took 36 hours. You know, if you want to spend a couple hours there, all of a sudden you're into the 40-hour range. Mm-hmm. You know, you, by the time you... Because he has to inflate, unpack, inflate, do the thingy, deflate, repack. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of work. so you're 45 minutes just to do that. Yeah. You know, so... Daylight's I'm burning. sure he would uh, he would have preferred to stay longer, but did you look up this lake on on Google Maps? Uh, I saw parts of it. It's not, it's, it's a beautiful place. Try to find it. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Mount Everest. Yes, because he'd climbed Mount Everest, and you sent me this one because you wish you bought. Stock in wag bag. Yes, and that's yes, not yes. the first time you've said that to me. <laughs> well, th- this this thing is becoming like an industry standard. Yeah, and uh, and so if anybody recalls us discussing this, the the wag bag, it's like a it's like a t- you know those cooling bags where you, you've got the chemical on one side and the gel on another. You you pop it, they mix together, and it turns into an ice pack. Well, this here is uh, a two-parter where you can mix, well... Poop. <laughs> so you poop in the bag, seal it, and then you pop the other portion with the chemicals in it, you mix them together, and it solidifies the poop. So it, it's no longer a... a, a it's not a squishy. <laughs> it's not a squishy. <laughs> it's not a toxic hazard anymore. It's not going to burst in your pack. And so on, right? So it's it's uh, it's great for leave no trace or for locations where they don't want you pooping in the mountains anymore. Or right. if you really don't want to, even if you are allowed to poop, you don't want to, you, you're more of a leave no trace type person, right? And so there's a, I, I know there's a, what's it, what is it, Whitney or no, Den, anyways. North Denali? Denali. I think it's Denali yeah. They where they discussed where the melting of the poop pack yes. up there in the mountains is going to... It's all infecting the, the water supply. The water supplies. So they're saying yeah. no longer you're allowed to go up there yeah. and poop in the mountain. you got to bring it back. 
So these wag bags can come in handy. And so I came across a story where they are enacting as of January 30th. Mm-hmm. So as of January 30th, they're saying that you can no longer poop on Everest. Poop it, it out, pack it, it down. You can, if you're above base camp, you must and what, they're actually recommending the wag bag. Mm-hmm. They're saying this is the product that you were going to supply. You're going to buy it, and uh, you're no longer allowed to poop on the mountain. And it, it, it's it's a toxic waste. It's a toxic hazard, and and people aren't really apparently that careful about where they go. So, yeah, it's not only that, but he's just, <laughs> this this one uh, one chairman of of this place. Our mountains have begun to stink. We are getting complaints that human stools are visible on rocks. Some climbers are falling sick. Uh. This is not acceptable and erodes our image. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Austrian guide, Lucas uh, Furtenbach, says it's definitely positive and a long overdue step. Um, This new directive that climbers on Mount Everest have to pack out. Exactly. Their feces. From uh, down down to base camp. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it, it does make sense. I can see why this is an issue and why they want to make the change. Yeah. Well, and the, there's a lot of people saying, like, this shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Um... You know, it's commonplace, they say, just to leave it up there or... But the, one of the things is... Like they say, the new rule on Everest overrides the decades-old practice of leaving poop on the mountain, either buried in the ice or and rock or ex- on exposed ground. Real problem is higher at Camp 4, 26,000 feet uh, above the South Col. The shelf is frozen solid, so you can't dig the ground. Hurricane force winds blow away whatever snow might cover up. And they do, climbers don't want to walk far from the camps in the thin air and violent gusts. Most folks just walk as far as needed until they feel comfortable and go <laughs> to the bathroom. Uh, Nepali group called the Sagarmatha Pollution Control Committee, which monitors environmental health on the mountains, estimates there are around three metric tons oh, of wow. human feces between Camp 1 and 4. <laughs> That's a lot. So what they're saying... Is you can leave the dead bodies yeah. and all the gear, but bring your poop down. Exactly. <laughs> start small. Start small. So, because they do, they closed the mount. Oh, I can't remember what year it was, but they actually closed the climbing season so that they could do a mountain cleanup. And oh, they brought down to. That. They were talking about oxygen tanks doing that last and- year or this year, though. Yeah. Again. Because it's definitely needed. They're trying to do the. I, they, I think they're trying to do it every year now. It's uh, because it's become a problem. There's. It's such a popular thing. Mm-hmm. Like what is it? Uh, 1947 is the first time uh, it was climbed, and since then, like now, it, it's, it's like a. It's oh, like a. It's like a, a highway. Up. Yeah. So you're you're queuing up in a line like you're. You know, going into the ROM, and it's like, it's... it's you get a couple of minutes on the top, take your pictures, and... Yeah. Next, next. It's Get like going. they should be taking tickets at the top. Yeah, it's I know. It's ridiculous seeing <laughs> the pictures. It's absolutely ridiculous. Take a ticket, take a ticket. Mount serving so number 137. The Grand Canyon rafting trips require all weight, solid waste to be brought out. Yes. Uh, there comes a point where, you know, you have to say enough is enough if the environment is that important. Mm-hmm. Right, either the environment's important or those 
tourist tax dollars are important. But it's also right? unhealthy, right? It is. But they have a, a thing with it. They call it the Groover. It's basically a portable toilet they set up at camp yeah. on these rafting trips. Um, but during the day, if you need to go, they have the bags where, yeah. you know, they'll make a pit stop and you can go over there, take one of these bags and do your business sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, you have to, you have to bring it out. So either stop dropping the, uh, you know, drop the numbers of people that are allowing to go up the mountain, you know, so what's more important, tourist dollars or yeah, environment. Exactly. Is this something that should be started with more with more outdoor oriented tripping. So like a week long canoe trip means you have to carry a week's worth of waste. You know, it's right? depending on where where you are and how sensitive the area is. So like when we go to Algonquin Park, we yeah. can we can go in there for a month and stop every site has a thunder box. It, yes. What if they got rid of all the thunder boxes? Oh, yeah, that'd be a problem. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, not all places. I mean, we go through Tomogamy yeah. and not every campsite has a Thunderbox. Oh, no, exactly, right? So do you carry wag bags? I, I think you should. Should they start making that? If you're going through this area, there's no yeah. Thunderboxes. Show me your supply of wag bags. Mm-hmm. You cannot get your permit until we see how you're planning to deal with your waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's something that I think we're going to see debated more and more often as we go forward. It's there's enough people going into the backcountry areas that there's. Uh, it's just the impact. the The environment can't take that impact. If mm-hmm. like it, you know, you got some random guy going into some random lake in the middle of nowhere. It's like, well, there's one guy. But if you have a flotilla of people heading to some of these locations, like if Matt, there's if there's seven sites on a, a popular lake, yeah. And those sites are filled every week in the summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of poopy. Yeah. 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 And I've, it's not uncommon. Like, I've seen it a lot in, like, for example, a backcountry Algonquin where you, you um, come across a site where somebody's freshly dug a new Thunderbox. They've had to move it. It was full. Or And I've reported back to when I've exited saying, yeah, this campsite on this lake, on this location is, like, Full, somebody needs to go dig a new uh, Thunderbox. Or people that don't know about Thunderboxes and there's little toilet paper tower. So uh, that's another. Flowers everywhere. Entire, like that's another issue that I, I don't know. When you have a Thunderbox, if you're willing to go backcountry camping and if somebody provides you with a Thunderbox, why are you pooping in the bushes next to the Thunderbox? Because not everybody realizes there's a Thunderbox. When they go right next to it? I think oh, what I've it is. I've never actually seen it right next to I have. Oh, I have. Yeah. And I think what it is is people find it gross. It's like, oh, it, there's a smell coming out of there. Well, yeah. It's a toilet. That's because it's a toilet, right? <laughs> it, and it just baffles me. And you know, it's, I, I think there's enough people using the backcountry now. It's become more and more popular as the, uh, as the years go along. And uh, I think there's a time to. Uh, or educate the pop the the public more when it comes to backcountry protecting backcountry mm-hmm. areas. And yeah, and like I say, what's more more important, the environment or the tourist dollars? Yeah, well, it depends on who you talk to, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that that's <laughs> that's an argument that'll be there forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, if you, uh, I don't. Yeah, I would prefer just to use a thunderbox. Oh yeah. 
100%. You know, and not carry around a, a bag of, yeah. of waste for a week. Yeah. But <laughs> if it was mandated, that's been, so be it. Yeah. Right? That's the rules. The rules are the rules. And then, of course, if that's mandated, well, are you going to supply me the wag bags? Like the amount of yeah arguments that are going to come out of something like that. It's are, tough. It's I say we sh- I say that we start this trend and make it law. You have to use wag bags just to listen to the people complain. <laughs> Before just we- start, just start the fire and let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Before we make these determinations, let me know so I can buy some stock in the company. Right. <laughs> Hey, wag bag stock went up this week. <laughs> Derek retired. <laughs> well, you know, uh, what's interesting, though, is uh, everybody's chasing the dollar, right? Yep. And when it comes to, like, the wag bag has been talked about at length now on several, like, especially, like, Everest, this is a very high-profile way. It's it's free advertising. And so what we're going to see now is like the wag bag is there, but now you're going to see some different off brands and other people are going to go, Hey, we want in, we want in on this deal now. Like it shouldn't be just wag bag that sells their monopoly, their poop bags. I yeah. want to sell the poop bags too. Well, what one of the Sherpas is saying is so instead of having to carry it out, then maybe we just make um, a barrel and you put your wag bags in there. Oh, and then okay. every so often, like once a week or whatever, a helicopter comes in and yes. changes barrels. Helicopters can reach base camp, so yeah. that would work. Yeah. So, but, but that's not something that uh, you can do in the Algonquin backcountry. If you no. and <laughs> you go to you go to any hiking trail and and it's like, well, that was nice of that human to bag up their dog's poop, but why did they leave the bagged poop on the edge of the trail? Right. Right, so are we going to start seeing white bags thrown on the edge of, uh, or just dumped in the lake. on the edge of portages, or dumped in the lake, yeah. or whatever? It's like I'm not carrying this. It's like uh, it, it might become worse before it gets better. Or when people are are paddling by with their music blaring, oh, and all yeah. of a sudden get beamed by a <laughs> wag bag. <laughs> there you go. Practical news. <laughs> if you if your music is playing loud as you're past my campsite, <laughs> yeah. Bonk! Trebuchets full of wag bags. Yeah, that'd be awesome, eh? <laughs> Launch! Death by poo bag. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see what uh, happens with that there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's something brand spanking new. Because of excessive rainfall in California, a temporary lake is giving folks a oh. rare chance to do some actual kayaking. This is fascinating. Of all things in the driest place in the United States. The U.S. National Park Service says, The aquatic adventure is taking place at Badwater Basin, which lies at the bottom of Death Valley. Lowest elevation in North America at 282 feet or 86 meters below sea level. Badwater Basin is normally a dry salt flat. Ah, you might think with no drain to the sea that Death Valley would always have a lake, says Park Ranger Abby Wines. But this is an extremely rare event. Normally, the water amount of water flowing in is much less than the evaporation rate. Death Valley National Park averages two inches of rain per year. That's not a lot. But the valley floor has gotten four to nine inches in the past six months. Surrounding mountains have seen even more rain. Most of the rain came just two, in two events, 2.2 inches during the remnants of Hurricane Hillary in August and 1.5 inches during an atmospheric river in February 4th to 7th. 
Lake was deep enough to kayak for a few weeks after Hurricane Hillary, but unfortunately people couldn't come enjoy it then because every road in the park was damaged by flash floods and it took two months to open the first road into the park. Now most of the main roads are open, so it's time to come visit. Some secondary backcountry roads are closed, so be sure to check with latest weather information before setting out. But adventurers can currently reach Badwater Basin via a paved road. Informally known as Lake Manly, the fleeting pool is about six miles long, three miles wide, and just one (laughs) foot deep. Can you actually kayak in one foot of water? You could, yeah. My fat ass, I'd be dragging the bottom <laughs> of my canoe along the bottom of that lake. Um, be hard to paddle because your paddles would be hitting the bottom constantly. Right? Uh, you're going to be lily dipping the entire way. Yeah. It might be deep enough to kayak only for a couple of weeks, said uh, National Park Service. Uh, however, park rangers believe the shallow lake will still create beautiful reflections through oh, April. Yeah, photography is going to be amazing. Right? Park rangers ask that would-be visitors follow park rules, minimize their impact on the fragile desert environment. Parking lots may be full. If parking on the road shoulder, drivers should be cautious of soft shoulders and ensure they are fully out of the driving lane. Footprints in the lake shore can last for years People should walk on established pathways. Mm. If the wonders of the earth aren't enough to lure you there, the park plans to hold its annual Death Valley Dark Sky Festival, March 1st to 3rd, for some epic stargazing. That'd be fascinating. But could you imagine? Yeah, I remember in 2024, (laughs) last year we went out and we paddled Death Valley. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Never done again. That'd be so cool, eh? Yeah. Even still, like, even if it's only a foot of water, if yeah. I had the chance to do it and I was there, yeah. it'd be a hassle, but I'd still yep. do it. What'd you do this summer? I paddled Death Valley. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, <laughs> I did. Uh, last thing I got here, just something I came across, the Bow Wow Bow Pulpit. See hmm. it ten times real fast. Bow Wow Bow Pulpit. It came bow, wow, bow, I can't pulpit. find any photos of this or anything. Yeah, we need a photo. I, I'm not getting this. I'm not sure, understanding yeah. what. So, so about about pulpit. Basically, when you see a a boat and somebody's you know that pointy piece that sticks yeah, out like from the sailboat. front of the boat, yeah, and they're they're sitting on that sort of thing. That's it. This guy says, "I wanted to create a safe way for a pet dog to safely stand and ride along the ki- uh, on a kayak or stand up paddleboard." Uh, says the inventor from Newport Beach, California. So I invented the Bow Wow Bow Pulpit. My design helps alleviate the fear of a pet falling overboard, and it could also be used to store other products, such as a backpack or a cooler. He put a sheet of plywood on the bow of a kayak. I gotta think it's... <laughs> I, did she, my thing is... I mean, I've got a couple issues with this. Until, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, until I see a picture, I've got issues with I, this. I know. It's... If you're putting a whole bunch of stuff or the weight of a dog that's not like two pounds yeah. on the front of your kayak, sticking, because bow pulpits stick out. Yeah. But I got to think he's not having it stick way out in front of your boat. It's kind of, you know, maybe just, like you say, a small piece of wood yeah. along the front. Still, if a dog's on there, it's 
going to ruin your stability some, yeah, I think. Yeah, and you're going to have to do some ballasting so the nose right? isn't too deep in the water. It's going to be harder to navigate and steer because, uh, because of the front-loaded weight. You'd have to, you know, put some ballast in the back to offset the weight of the dog. That's where your other dog goes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the next thing is what had me really, I want to see a picture on how this works. The invention provides an effective way to secure a dog to the bow of any kayak or stand-up paddleboard. Define secure. Define secure. To secure your dog. Are you tying your dog there? Because if you capsize, yeah. you can swim, but you've just tied your dog Tied your dog to this potentially sinking boat. Yeah. Depending, I mean, if you blow a hole in the bottom of it, that's why you capsized. <laughs> um. In doing so, it allows for convenient and secure travel on the floating vessel with the pet owner. As a result, it enhances safety and it helps prevent the pet from falling overboard. So that's why I'm thinking he's got to be secured in there. Like, they're not going to fall overboard. Does that include not going to jump? Which means they're tied to it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The invention features a durable design that's easy to attach, so it's ideal for kayaking and stand-up paddleboard enthusiasts with pet dogs. All right, finally, I can take my Great Dane paddleboarding. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're doing that. <laughs> Additionally, it is a producible in uh, it is producible in design variations. Original design was submitted to the Orange County Sales Office of Invent Help. It is currently available for licensing or sales to manufacturers or marketers. And I think that's why we're not seeing photos yet. Yeah, until somebody he's protecting gets, uh, it a design. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I want to see a photo of this. I want to know what he means by securing the dog. Um, you know, like, <laughs> and, and prove that it's not going to cause stability issues. Yeah, exactly, right? So, anyway, I just happened to see this while I was going, and it just raised way too many questions that now I'm curious. I want to <laughs> know, know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that is all I have got this week. Huh. You got anything else? I do not. Why it's not? a long show. Isn't it? Nah, it's pretty hour, par for the course anymore. Hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, we're anywhere between an hour and hour and 20 anymore. <laughs> we just like to yabber about stuff now. Uh, this coming weekend's Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show. I yes. am speaking on Sunday. At one? At noon. At noon. Bring your lunch, sit down, and listen to me yabber. Yep. Uh, talking about the canoe route we did this past yes. summer following the incomplete angler's canoe route yep so i'm gonna be chatting about that it was a good trip it was um and i will be wandering around on saturday you still don't know if you're coming down saturday or sunday yeah i haven't i've decided which day if I, i'm gonna have to come sunday to see this I w- i'd like to learn about the trip that you went on yeah it was great <laughs> the guy i went with was a total nerd oh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I like. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go down both days. You're probably going down both days, are you? Yeah, I'll go down all Saturday and yeah. do all my speaky stuff. And but if you do see me, ask me for a sticker because I will have stickers <laughs> with me. <laughs> so except you, you're not getting any. I'm not asking for yeah, a sticker. Don't ask me for a sticker. I won't give you one. <laughs> Slap it right on your forehead. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then so this week is this weekend is the the Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show. Yep. Next weekend yes. is Quiet Adventure Symposium. March. Yeah, March already, already here. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and somewhere between now, this week and next week, I've got to get out You've on the water. You've got to get out and paddle, yeah. Got to get out on the water. Yeah, that, that back just killed my February. Yeah. <laughs> but. But you got to try and get out. 
Cover all your months. I, you know, I think I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get in and out of a kayak. Oh, yeah? But uh, so I think I might have to do it in a canoe. Oh, yeah, yeah. So do a canoe. Yeah. Well, John uh, was asking me to go, and I'm just like, oh. John Brower <laughs> says, yeah, let's go out in the kayak. Let's go. Because he's more of a kayaker than, yeah. than a canoeist, right? But, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be able to get, unless he's going to pick me up and put me in there. Yeah. And considering I'm a lot Your taller than he is. Bad, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. It's it's brutal. Well. Um, anyway, I'll get over it. As long as peachy keen in time for paddling, full paddling yeah. season, then, <laughs> then I'm good. So, yeah, come and see us uh, at uh, the Toronto Adventure Show this weekend. Saturday and Sunday I'll be there. Yep. And the uh, Quiet Adventure Symposium in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, we'll have our booth set up. And on the floor behind you is the new tent. Oh, the new, uh, thingy. Yeah. new top we got a, yeah. yeah, we got a new tent thingy. High top tent. Yeah, whatever those things are called. The canopy tent things mm-hmm. for our booth. What, you so. see, yeah, you see people at uh, soccer games yeah. sheltering under them. Yeah, we're going to be out there playing soccer. <laughs> anyway that's all i got this week that's all i have all righty well if you want to find out more about us you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com we're on facebook instagram and twitter you can download or stream all our episodes at itunes apple Podcasts, spotify podbean iHeartRadio, player fm and all your favorite podcast downloading sites or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. 418 of them now. Woo! Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.